Before we start with today's message, I wanted to let you know that your time with God doesn't have to end when this devotion does. Oh, it's Pastor Mike, by the way. <laughs> if you still find yourself wanting more great resources that take you deep into God's Word and deeper into the faith that you want, just visit us at timeofgrace.org. However you learn best, I bet we've got something for you. From our sermons, to our video devotions, to written devotions, to books, to blogs, and, of course, to more podcasts. One more time, just visit timeofgrace.org. I'll see you there. Hey friends, this week we get to talk about Joshua in the Bible. And you know which book of the Bible you will find Joshua in? Joshua. It's the, the book of the Bible that is named after Joshua. So Joshua, if you don't know Joshua, Joshua is the successor of Moses. And Moses is very, very well known. Moses is the Ten Commandments guy. The guy who went up on Mount Sinai and had conversations with God. And he brought down the Ten Commandments. And he led Israel through 40 years in the wilderness. He's the guy who went into Egypt and stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with Pharaoh and said, Let my people go. Those, uh, so the Moses had, uh, there were some pretty big sandals to fill here, and Joshua was the guy who was pegged to fill those sandals just as the 40 years in the wilderness was coming to an end. God did not allow Moses to go into the promised land of the land of milk and honey that he had promised them. He allowed Moses to get a glimpse of what was in the promised land before God took him away from the earth. But Moses was gone, and God looked at Joshua and said, It's your turn. There are a couple of things. We're just going to spend a little bit of time in the first nine verses of chapter one in the book of Joshua today. We'll get into the rest of Joshua as we go through the week. But the first nine verses are packed full of some incredible applications for our own lives and the different situations that we find ourselves in. One of the more famous passages in, the, in those first nine verses is the one where God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous as you're, gonna, as you're stepping into this new situation, as you're stepping into this new job, be strong and courageous. In fact, God says that to Joshua three times just in those first nine verses. You know what else he tells Joshua to do in those first nine verses? He says, don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be careful to obey all my laws. Keep this book of the law on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. Be careful to do everything that is written in it. All those things just in the first nine verses of the first chapter of Joshua that God is telling Joshua, be sure you pay attention to all these things. Be sure you read the law. Be sure you think about it day and night all the time without not thinking about it. Oh, I wasn't there, but if I were, I might ask Joshua, how do you feel? <laughs> Expecting that he's going to say, boy, I feel a little bit overwhelmed. And maybe you know that feeling too, the feeling of being overwhelmed with way too much to do, the feeling of starting a new position, a new job, living in a new city, moving to a new place, leading your family into a new land, uh, the feeling of being overwhelmed with little children at home and feeling like their life and their needs is just dictating every moment of your existence. There are a lot of times in life that we feel overwhelmed where we find it really hard to think that we will be able to be strong and courageous like he told Joshua. And I'm sure it would be tough for the same reason it is for us. But... There are a couple other things that God said to Joshua just in those first nine verses. As they were getting ready to go into the promised land, as they were getting ready to face all the nations that were going to try to stop them from going into the promised land, in those first nine verses, God also said these things to Joshua. He said, Joshua, I will give you every place where you set your foot. He said, Joshua, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. He said, Joshua, I will be with you. Joshua, I will never leave you or forsake you. Joshua, the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. 
He said all those things to him. As a reminder to Joshua, as he was getting into this new task, it may have been a bit overwhelming that he was never going to be alone. And do you know that in so many places in the Bible, God says these very same things to you? Sometimes with the exact same words when he says that surely he's with you always to the very end of the age. He's going to, you are never alone. Um, sometimes in a slightly different way, in Romans chapter 8, um, and when he says that nothing in all creation is going to be able to separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we're more than conquerors over everything, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation. Just, there's nothing we need to be afraid of. Every enemy, sin, death, Satan, trouble, one day we're going to see that we'll be on the winning side of all of those different things. That's the truth that we get to see every time we go to the cross of Jesus. And it's a wonderful thing. If you're feeling a bit overwhelmed by life right now, take some encouragement from Joshua that you are really never alone as you go through life. And we'll find some more specific encouragement as we go through the week. But, um, but just know for now that God will always be faithful to you. He will always be faithful to his promise. And his faithfulness to us will always be greater than our faithfulness to him. He's a God of grace. He's a God of love. He's a God of power. He's the God who allows us to step into our next moments, whatever they are, feeling strong and courageous because he's with us, just like he was with Joshua. We're talking about the life of Joshua in the Bible from the book of Joshua this week. Just a review from where we were yesterday. God called Joshua to replace Moses, who was a very significant leader in Israel's history. Maybe it was a little overwhelming for Joshua, but God settled his overwhelmed heart with a lot of promises that he would be with him, that he would care for him, and that there was no enemy that was going to be able to defeat him, uh, to defeat him or Israel on the way to the land that God had promised them, otherwise known as the promised land. So the first big enemy, uh, the first big challenge is coming up now in the next couple of chapters when we get into the Israelites getting into Jericho. So Joshua wanted to be strategic about how to take down Jericho. Jericho was uh, a rather large city with a rather large wall that was around the entire city. It was very difficult to get by. There were actually probably two walls, an outer wall and then an inner wall, and very large, large enough that people actually lived inside the walls. And some of the things that we could spend a lot of time on, but we won't spend a ton of time on today uh, to highlight before we get to the, main, uh, to the main event, is Joshua spent some spies into Jericho to scope out the land to see you know, if this was going to be legit, if we're going to be able to conquer them. And so they went in, and they were housed by a prostitute named Rahab. And I think that's kind of strange company to, to have as you're trying to carry out the work of the Lord. But Rahab's story is an excellent one of God's grace. The Bible is not shy talking about Rahab's past. But it's also not shy talking about what happened in the future because of Rahab. If you look in the book of Matthew, there's a genealogy, a list of the descendants of Jesus. And guess who one of the descendants of Jesus, or not the descendants, but the um, uh, Jesus was descended from people. I forget, what the, I forget what the word is for that. But anyway, Rahab is in that list. That in a sense, you could say that the Savior of the world would not have been born without Rahab, this prostitute. So God redeemed her life and used it for a really, really great purpose, just like he does for all of us. A great reminder that God, he redeems our lives. He takes us from a life of sin and redeems us for lives of awesome purpose to honor God and glorify God in really, really incredible ways. So the spies were housed by Rahab and Rahab made a deal with them. You know, if I help you out, will you save me when you come into the land? Because Rahab was already convinced that the Israelites were going to take down Jericho. She had, had, she had heard of how God had 
um, had helped them along the way, how he divided the waters of the Red Sea. And she was very scared, just like a lot of the other people were. And so she made a deal. When you come in, save me and save my family. And the sign of where her family was going to be when the Israelites came in was going to be a scarlet thread that was going to be hanging from her house wall or from her window. And so they would go in, seeing the scarlet thread, they would take her family and they would take them to safety and they, you know, they'd be safe when the Israelites came in. And that's what ended up happen, uh, happening later on. And the scarlet, scarlet thread is a very, it's kind of a cool reminder of the scarlet blood that poured out of our Savior on the cross that saved us, um, unworthy sinners who don't deserve to be saved by God and yet Jesus shed his blood for us. So the spies come back and... They say, okay, this is good. They're scared of us and it's time to go in. And so then Joshua is given instructions by the Lord on how to take down the city of Jericho. These are the instructions Joshua passed on to the Israelite leaders that he had received from the Lord. This is the strategy of how they were going to take down this massive enemy of Jericho. Joshua comes up to his leaders and he says, okay, guys, I've been given a plan from the Lord himself. He has told us the way that we will defeat this enemy and he has promised that it will happen if we follow his instructions. And they say, yes, a plan from the Lord. This is really, really awesome. I'm so excited. What do we need to do? And Joshua says, here's what we're going to do. We're all going to go and we're going to march around the city, all as a group. We're going to be blowing our trumpets, our little trumpets, the whole time, just as we're marching around the entire city. And they're thinking, yeah, this will really intimidate him. This is, this is exciting. We'll just kind of build up to the big, big moment when we just go rushing in. And he says, we're just going to march around. We're not going to shout anything. We're just going to blow our little trumpets. We're going to get all the way around the city and then we will be done. And then we will go back to camp. And then we'll go to bed. And we'll, get, and we'll rest up for the next day. And then the next day, the next day, we will get up. And as a group, we will circle around the city again, blowing all of our trumpets just like we did the first day. And then we'll get done on the second day. And then we'll go back to camp. And we'll go to bed. And then the third day, we'll do the same thing. And then the fourth day, the same thing. And then the fifth day, the same thing. And then the sixth day, we will do that again. No shouts, no crying, no intimidation, no, we're going to get you in a, in a moment, you know, or anything like that where you're shouting to the enemy as they're probably making fun of you the whole time. As you know, you get to day three and they're looking down at these people who are not attacking at all. They're just little marching parade with their little trumpets and they're, they're probably starting to regain some confidence in Jericho. But then Joshua says, after the sixth day, we're going to do something a little bit different. And this is when the leaders are like, yes, this is when we get to bring in the big guns. This is when it's really going to happen. Joshua says, we're going to march around the city once and then a, a second time and then a third time and then a fourth time, a fifth time, a sixth time, and then a seventh time. And after we get done with the seventh time, then all at the same time, I want you to shout and then all the walls will come down and everybody will walk straight in. That's what the Lord said to me. And I don't know what they thought about that. <laughs> I think that maybe they would have thought, this is a little crazy, Joshua. I don't know if this is going to work the way that you think it, you think it will. But he was passing it on from the Lord. And maybe one of the reasons the Lord gave them these somewhat strange commands on how to take down Jericho is because he wanted to give them an opportunity to show that they really trust him. And one of the ways that he often does that is he gives us things that are sometimes hard to do. Things that we, don't, we wouldn't do naturally. Things that don't often make sense to us. But it was a clear command. It was clear instruction. And they had an opportunity to show, do I trust God or do I not trust God? Do I trust God to lead or do I want to take the outcome into my own hands? And thankfully, they decided to trust God. And they said, okay, this is what God says. And we will go in and we'll do exactly what he says. And we will trust that God will do exactly what he promised to do. 
And so they marched around the first day. And then day two, three, four, five, and six, then they got to day seven. They did it exactly day seven. They let out the cry. And then guess what happened? The walls all collapsed and they went straight in. Straight in. And they took the city. They went straight in. I'm emphasizing that phrase because it's an important phrase. So God at the beginning, he promised that if they did all of this, the walls would collapse and they would go straight in. And then at the end, when they followed the instructions, the walls collapsed and they went straight in. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to walk through a destruction zone where like a tornado or a hurricane has come through and annihilated some kind of building. And if you've ever tried to walk straight through that destruction zone, you can't do it. There's so much rubble and garbage and everything, piles of sharp, I mean, it's just, it's, you can't walk straight through. You have to be careful with your stepping and you can't go straight in. And yet the Israelites did. This whole big wall, massive wall, it collapsed. And in whatever way God, only God could do, there was no rubble. They're just a straight path in where God promised there would be. It was as if the walls had never been there in the first place. This big intimidating thing that was standing in their way from the land God had promised them, it was as if the challenge had never been there. And I love that phrase because it's a picture of what one day will happen to you. There are a lot of different challenges that you face over the course of your life. So many different challenges, things that make us feel discouraged and afraid and weak. And we wonder if we're gonna be okay. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of what we see in his empty grave, we get to know that one day we will walk straight into heaven. Or God will wipe every last tear away where we'll never feel weary or tired ever again. Where all the challenges that we face here on earth, it will be as if they never even existed. That's coming for you. A great victory. Joshua was able to lead Israel into Jericho knowing that the victory would be theirs. And it's a great reminder of how we get to live every single moment of our lives. We get to walk through life knowing that the greatest victory of all has already been given to you. Our eyes just have yet to see it be delivered into our hands, but but one day it will be. Yesterday we looked at the battle at Jericho and how Joshua led the Israelites into Jericho following the Lord's instructions, even though they were somewhat strange instructions, but the Lord showed them that you can always you can always trust God to do exactly what he says, no matter you know how well you understand exactly what's going on along the way. So that was the first enemy to be taken down on the way into the promised land. The next one, it was a, it was a place called AI. You know how you spell AI? AI. <laughs> Just two letters, AI. Um, and AI was nothing close to the size of Jericho. Jericho was this massive big enemy with these big walls, and AI was hardly even its own its own place. It was more like a bunch of runaways living in the mountains at the time. But but the Israelites knew they needed to get by AI in order to get into the promised land. And the scouts went to scout AI, and they came back and they said, "We don't need to send everyone, Joshua. Just send a few people." And they'll be able to take care of this ragtag group that's hiding in the mountains right now and it won't be any kind of big deal. So Joshua agrees and he sends 3,000 3, soldiers, which maybe seems like a lot, but compared to the massive number of Israelites that there were in the army, it was a very, very small amount. He felt very, very confident. We're going to be great. AI won't be able to do anything. He sends the soldiers and he was incredibly surprised that the Israelites were just annihilated. His 3,000 soldiers that he sent were just decimated by this tiny little group. And he wasn't just surprised because they had the numbers advantage. 
If you remember to the first day when we were talking about Joshua this week, God had made Joshua some very specific promises. He said, Joshua, I will give you every place where you set your foot. Joshua, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. In other words, he promised Joshua, Joshua, you guys aren't going to lose at all. And yet they lost. So Joshua is conflicted. And he's wondering what's going on. Why would this happen if the Lord promised it would never happen? So he went to the Lord. He was very, very upset. And the Lord came to Joshua and he spoke to him. And he said, Joshua, there's a reason this happened. It's not because I'm unfaithful. It's because one of the Israelites was unfaithful. When you went into Jericho, there was another command that the Lord had given them on the way into Jericho. They said, when you go into Jericho, don't take any of their stuff. God will provide everything you need. You don't need any of their stuff. But there was one Israelite among the many who went into Jericho whose name was Achan. Achan had taken some stuff. He thought, man, you know, nobody will notice. It's just a few small things that I can take with me, hide underneath my coat, and I can tuck away in my tent, and it's no big deal. Who's going to miss it? Well, God knew. Of course, at that time, Joshua didn't know that Achan had done this. And so he was very upset. The Lord told him that someone had done it. And the Lord told Joshua, I am going to reveal in front of all of Israel the person who was responsible for this pain, for this loss. And people died in it. So Achan was responsible for people losing their dads and their husbands. And there was a lot of pain. And the way that he revealed Achan in front of everyone, he brought all the Israelites out. And then he brought, uh, he had Joshua bring them up tribe by tribe. There were 12 tribes in Israel that, Israel that they were divided into, kind of like 12 different groups. And he brought them up tribe by tribe. And it's like, nope, it wasn't that one. So, nope, it's not that one. You can dismiss them. Nope, you, can't, you can dismiss them. But he gets to one tribe and he says, yep, this is the one. So then he has the entire tribe come forward. And then he divides them up into families. And he goes family by family. And he says, nope, it's not that family. 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 Until he gets to the family of Achan. And then he puts Achan's family in front and then he brings up Achan and he points out in front of all of Israel, this is the man. This is the guy. And so when Joshua saw that it was Achan, this is what Joshua said. He said, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And then Achan replied, it's true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. And then he went on to just give a full confession of everything that he, taken, that he had taken and everything that he had done. And he told them, this is where it's hidden. They went back to his tent. They found all the things that he had taken exactly where he said, where he said they would be. And as a punishment for that, they took Achan out and they stoned him to death. There was a consequence. Something bad happened because he stepped away from God. And you might think, yikes. Why should I believe in a God like that? Well, truly, we, we shouldn't be surprised that there are consequences. Because if God believes that there is one right way to live, following him, then he can't reward us when we go in another direction. He can't. Otherwise, he's not really serious about his one right way to live. And so we should not be surprised in our own lives, and we do see this happen in our own lives, when there are consequences when we go against God's law. If God tells us, like just thinking about how we interact within relationships, he tells us to be patient and kind and loving and forgiving 
and gracious and generous and compassionate and encouraging and to let no unwholesome words come out of our mouths but only what's useful for building each other up. And so if we do the opposite of that, the opposite of what God says, if we're impatient, if we're unkind, if we do hold the grudges, if we don't forgive, if we are snapping at each other or sarcastic with each other and cutting each other down, then we should not expect that those relationships are going to be blessed by God. We just shouldn't. There are consequences for our actions, just like there were for Achan. Now, maybe you might think, boy, those are some pretty severe consequences. Maybe. But ask yourself this. Do you think Achan is in heaven? Do you think Achan is in heaven? So there's an earthly consequence, but then there's still the question of, well, where does he end up in eternity? Did he go to heaven? You start by looking at his confession. And what did he say? He didn't, he didn't say, ah, oh, Joshua, you know, come on, what's the big deal? Once he was caught and Joshua said, give glory to God, tell what you've done, he did. He just said, I made a mistake. He didn't make excuses. He didn't blame anyone. He didn't say, man, my, you know, it's hard to live in a wilderness and provide for a family in a wilderness. He didn't say any of those things. He just said, I sinned against the Lord. He saw his sin in the context of what he had done to the Lord, which is a really great confession. And just an encouragement to us that, if there's ever anything in our lives that we get caught in or any sin that anybody points out, never just don't make an excuse. Acknowledge, acknowledge what it is. Just call it a sin and apologize and repent because that's what the Lord tells us to do, to just repent and, and call it what it is. There's no excuse. But then there's another interesting tidbit into Achan's life that Scripture gives us. The place where they took him out and they stoned him to death, so that means they took large stones and they threw them at him until he was dead, they called it the Valley of Achor. That was the nickname that they gave it after this happened. And the Valley of Achor, it means the Valley of Trouble. So that there was trouble that Achan had brought on Israel, and so trouble was brought on him as a consequence. But there's another passage in the Bible that refers to the Valley of Achor. And it says, it's a promise from God where he says, I will make the Valley of Achor into a door of hope. I'll make the Valley of Achor into a door of hope. And why would it say that? Because at the cross of Jesus, God gave hope to anyone who has ever been in the same position as Achan was. At the cross of Jesus, when Jesus' life ended, he gave hope to anyone who's ever been caught in sin and hope to anyone who has ever remembered their sin in the context of their Father in heaven. Hope to anyone who's ever made a decision that had painful consequences, not just for their life, but for other people's lives. He gave them the hope of knowing that those sins don't separate us from heaven. The Bible doesn't say specifically that Achan was in heaven. But I wouldn't be surprised to see him when we get there. And that's a, that's a great encouragement. I mean, great encouragement in this, in this whole lesson to take our sins seriously, to repent, just honestly repent when somebody catches us in sin or we catch ourselves. And then to look to the cross of Jesus where God gives us the greatest hope of all, the hope of moving forward. The, uh, the defeat at Ai it ended up being the only one for Israel as they went made their way to the promised land. It was the only time that they were defeated because it seems that everybody learned their lesson, a very important lesson from Achan's sin, which is just one more example of God covering horrible things with his grace and making, out, making it turn out well in the end in ways, better ways than we ever could. God does that with your life all the time. Someday when we get to heaven, we'll see all the specific ways that he did. 
Still talking about Joshua this week and the ways that God used Joshua to lead Israel into the land that God had promised them. Let me give you a short recap of where we've been so far this week. So God called Joshua to replace Moses, told him to be strong and courageous because the Lord was going to be with him, just like the Lord is with you wherever you go. Then they went in to take Jericho. That was the first big enemy that they needed to take down on their way into the promised land. Some great lessons to be learned there about trusting God, taking God at his word, even if it seems so impossible that God is going to fulfill his promise just the way he said. But it's, a, it's just a wonderful example of how we can take God at his word, which is really a great definition of what faith is. Faith is really just taking God at his word, holding on to a promise that God says and believing it is going to come true even if I can't see how it's going to happen. So they go into Jericho and then they go to their next enemy, which is tiny little Ai, and they are defeated because of a man named Achan who had taken things that he shouldn't have when they went into Jericho and some very powerful lessons there on the consequences that come when we step away from God's guidance and also of some very powerful lessons on the abundance of God's forgiveness and how much of our sin it really does cover and it covers everything, no matter the damage that it creates. So then after the defeat at Ai, they moved on and they decided to kind of, Joshua led the people, he said, you know what, we've all learned a very important lesson here. Let's just all out loud verbally say that we love the Lord and we trust him and they renewed their, they renewed their faith in him at a, at a mountain and then they went on to the next enemy, which wasn't just one enemy, it was five enemies. So a lot, of the other, uh, a lot of the other nations in the area had begun to hear about what the Israelites were doing to all these enemies on the way to the promised land and they became very afraid thinking we're never going to be able to take them down. So one king, Adoni Zedek, that's his name, Adoni Zedek, had the idea, what if a bunch of us rally together? Maybe all of us together can take them down. And so he gathered four of his buddies who were overseeing other countries and he made the case and they said, you bet, let's do this. Let's all rally together and let's take on Israel and it will be and it will be really, 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 really great. And they were even very strategic in it. They went after a new ally that the Israelites accidentally, uh, accidentally gained along the way, the Gibeonites. There's another long story there, which we won't dig into much today. But the Gibeonites eventually became woodcutters for the Israelites. Again, a lot of details there that we're not going to cover today. But the five kings got together and they said, we're going to go after these Gibeonites. And we're going to see if the Israelites are really going to defend them. So they went after the Gibeonites and the Israelites who had made a covenant with them and said, we're going to defend you no matter what. They came in and they went in against this larger army of the Amorites. And a couple of really, really interesting things happened. Remember, God had promised that no enemy was going to be able to stand in their way. And boy, did we see that happen really powerfully in this interaction with these five kings and the larger army that came after them. So the Israelites advanced against them. And then it says a couple of different things happened. It says that God intervened in this particular battle in a couple of different ways, some very, some very unique ways. And one of the ways was he sent hail, hailstones down from the skies and he was like picking off the enemy with these hailstones. <laughs> just, just, you know, just like that. So God was doing that. The Israelites didn't need to do anything. And then God also, the enemies had chariots that they were riding in to battle with against the Israelites and God made the wheels fall off their chariots. Just like that. So the hailstones are coming down, the wheels are falling off the chariots. And so God is, God is fighting for Israel um, in some really cool ways that must have given really, str really strong encouragement to the Israelites who are going through this and they see this chariot coming at them and suddenly the wheels fall off and they can't do anything against them or they're about to be taken down by one of these enemies and a hailstone just, just takes them out and they don't, have to, they don't have to worry about them. But then there's something else that's interesting that happens. After, the, after we read through the account of the entire battle, it gives us some insight into something else that happened that day. And that the, it says, the sun stood still. 
They apparently needed more time for the battle. They wanted to get the battle done before it turned dark and it would become more difficult to go against them. And so Joshua prayed. He prayed to God and he said, God, would you please cause the sun to stand still so it doesn't set? Stop the sun from moving. <laughs> that's, a, that's an unusual prayer. But God answered the prayer. And scripture takes specific note of that where it says, it makes a specific point that the Lord listened to a human being. That was a bold, outrageous prayer. But it served God's people and it was done with full respect for God and wanting everyone to see what a great God we have. And God chose to answer that prayer. And that's a strong encouragement for us in our prayers too. There may be things that you feel like, well, maybe I should pray about this, but you think, you know what? It's no use because nothing can happen. There's no way that this particular thing could ever happen. There's no way the money could come in. There's no way the person can get well. There is no way that this situation is going to turn out well. You know what? I wonder if Joshua had many of those same thoughts and yet he decided to pray anyway for something really unusual, really big and almost, well, not almost impossible, but impossible. And he prayed and God listened. Just like he always listens to you and he will always answer with love. One of the greatest examples of that or the greatest proofs of that, is when Jesus himself is praying. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he is praying. And what's he praying for? He's praying, you know, dear God, I don't want to have to go through with this. I do not want to have to go to the cross. And why? For the same reason you and I wouldn't want to go to a cross because it was going to hurt. And for him, he was going to be punished for something that he never did and with a hell that we can't even imagine. And he prayed, dear God, take this away from me. I don't want to do this. But then he, added, he ended the prayer with, but not my will, but your will, Father in heaven. And how did his Father in heaven answer that prayer? With a no. He said no to Jesus. He said no to his son. No to his son's very heartfelt prayer. And why? Because he wanted to show you very definitively that he will always say yes to you. Always say yes to loving you and caring for you in the way that he knows is best. He always will. So be bold with your prayers. I mean, that's a great, that's a great application from, from this one. And then there's another, there's another line in this, in this battle that says very simply that surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. It was obvious to everyone that day. It's like, wow, something extraordinary is happening here. God is fighting for us. It was so obvious. The same is true in your life. The Lord is fighting for you today. And what's the proof? What's well, the day that the sun stopped shining? It says when Jesus was dying, when he was hanging on the cross in the middle of the day, something unusual happened that day too. The sun stopped shining. It didn't stay shining, it stopped. I know the sun doesn't have emotions, but, but if it did, maybe it was because it just felt so sad to see its creator dying right there in front of him. But the sun stopped shining. The day that Jesus died, the day that Jesus showed, he will always fight for you, no matter what it costs him. We've been talking about Joshua in the Bible this week. Thanks for sticking with me all week. Today we get to the, well, we fast forward a bit in Joshua's life to the end of his life, to his farewell speech. We, um, a couple, uh, well, a number of years have passed since, <laughs> since we spoke yesterday. Um, and what happens in that, in those many, many years is that they conquer a few, Israel conquers a few more enemies on the way to the promised land. And then once their enemies have all been conquered, they have all of this promised land in front of them and Joshua divides it up according to tribe, according to family, according to clan. 
and just lets everyone know this is this is the great land that you're going to be living in. And he assigns all these designations. But then they get to the end of that and they had peace from all of their enemies. There were no more enemies to conquer. And Joshua, well, it's time for him to go the way of Moses. So just like Moses' time of leadership in for over Israel came to an end, Joshua's time was coming to an end too. But before he left, he gave a speech. And there are a couple things I want to highlight about his speech. Some things that, uh, some things that he said. He said, in addressing all of Israel, he said, You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. And I want to emphasize two things there. The phrase, for your sake. For your sake. He's like, God is he's always, he's always acting in your best interests, in your best interests just like he was acting in their best interest. He always had their needs on his mind. He always had the next step on, in his plans. He always had their future in his hands, just like he does for you, for your sake. And he says, it was the Lord, your God, who fought for you. He wasn't saying that as a way to say, well, he's not my God. He was saying that just to emphasize, well, he is my God, but he's your God too. You know, this wasn't God just taking care of Joshua. It was God taking care of all of Israel. And they had, in a sense, property rights over God. Not because they purchased God, but because God chose to purchase them. Just like God chose to purchase you with the blood of the Lamb. You belong to God. He is your God. We, can, we get to claim him. and We get to claim all of his promises as things that we have the right to believe in as we go through life. A great reminder that Joshua gave his people. Another thing he said, he said, be, be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. And where have you heard that before? That's what God told Joshua to do at the very beginning of his leadership. It's almost, almost word for word. And Joshua saw some great benefit in what God told him, what God told him to do. Uh, and he was passing that along. He said, it's, it's worth it. It's worth it following the Lord and you can be strong and courageous in his promises to be with you. And then he also said, he said, you know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. And they were able to look back and say, you know what, God promised this and he fulfilled that. God said this and it happened. And remember at Jericho, God said that and we didn't think it would happen, but it did. It did. Grab onto a promise. Find a promise that God gives you in his word and hang on to it uh, because he will be faithful to it. That's the ways that he encourages us he, and, and he guides us. And, and Joshua, Joshua gave them a lot of, just a lot of, a lot of great reminders um, in his farewell speech and as part of his, his talking about the farewell speech on this last day, I actually want to go back to before Jericho and highlight something that Joshua did. As they were crossing, as they were crossing a body of water, God divided the water for them. So that was the second time God divided the waters for his people and Joshua led them through. And it was such an amazing thing that God divided some waters that they could walk straight through on, on dry ground. And at the end, Joshua said, he took, he, he took the leaders of each of the 12 tribes and he said, I want you to grab a stone from these waters, a large stone, and I want you to build a monument with those 12 stones at the waters. As a monument that, uh, that when your children ask you, what does that large monument mean? It will be an opportunity for you to say, let me tell you about my God and what he's done for us. Let me tell you about the way he led us. Let me tell you about the way he saved us. Um, there was a monument that people would ask about and an opportunity to say, this is, this is my great God. And that's what, in a sense, Joshua was doing at the end. You know, what's, what's my monument? But, but really, he was building his monument throughout the whole thing. The number of times a particular phrase comes up in the book of Joshua when it comes to his actions is just remarkable. If you read through the book of Joshua, just look how often the phrase 
as the Lord commanded him, or as the Lord said to him, comes up. Especially very early on in the book of Joshua, that phrase comes up so often. In fact, in the first couple of chapters, Joshua doesn't do anything unless the Lord told him to do it. He was very definitively following the word of the Lord. And he was able to look back at the end of his, at the end of his ministry, at the end of his time, and say, you know, and point out to the Israelites, and here we are. That got us to a good place, right? That got us to a good place. And it kind of leads to the question, you know, what is the monument that you are building in your life? What is the monument? Fast forward to the end of your life, and what do you want people to be able to say about you? Maybe you want people to be able to say, well, I, that I was strong and I was courageous and I accomplished a lot of things, but Joshua had something better to point them to. He was able to say that he had a God who was strong and he had a God who was courageous. He was a God who was, he was, a God who was faithful to all of his promises and a God who safely led them to the places where God knew that it would be best for them to go. And in what ways did he build that monument? By trusting him. By applying that trust in his leadership, just like we can apply that trust in our leadership of our marriages and our families and our communities and our jobs, making sure that we don't go to the right or to the left when it comes to walking on the path that God has laid in front of us. In those ways, we are building stone by stone our own monuments that highlight in front of so many others a God who saves and a God who loves and a God who forgives and a God who covers us all with such abundant grace. Let Joshua's life be an encouragement to build that kind of monument, a monument that shines the spotlight not on our strength, not on our courage, but more so the strength, the love, the faithfulness, the grace of our God who allows us to walk confidently through life, no matter where life takes us.